Okay, today I am at Star Sports' relatively new betting shop in Curzon Street, Mayfair. Quite a swish place it is too, isn't it? Uh, with Barry Beasley. Barry, um, people that don't know you, started with Coral in 1975, uh, left in 79, went to the tote, was in charge of their anti-post book, uh, worked as a commission agent, flirted with City Index, run Beasley Racing Services since 89, got a nickname, the Weatherman, Semi-retired now, but still work for the Racing Post, and you still mark the card for a leading rails firm in the South. Yeah. Have I missed anything? No, I think you've got everything covered there. Um, so, that's a big, long career in yeah. the game. Well, it'll be 50 years in two years' time, which is a long time, yeah. So, wh how did you get into it? I mean, what was the... Uh, 1975, why did you gravitate to betting? About, and about two or three years previous to that, I always think... My, my dad used to like a bet. He used to have a small bet on a Saturday. And I used to just pick a couple out for him, and we did quite well. So I, I just always had a handle on the form. And uh, I thought, well, I've got, to, I've got to do something with this. So about two years later, a friend of mine was working for Coral's head office in Regent Street, not far from here. And uh, he said, I can get you a job there. So he said, come along and, you know, you've got to start off as literally a tea boy, errand boy, whatever, just at the bottom rung. So that's what I did. I went there in 75 and just basically worked my way up doing different little things, you know. Okay, so when you say you were you were picking out some winners, so you were actively studying the form. Were you getting like form books and stuff there? No, not at that stage. No, just looking at the just just quite basic stuff really, in them days, and then obviously it progressed from there. Uh, I can remember buying the Time Form Black Book when I first started at Corals. I was earning twenty pound a week, and I used to get the Black Book, which was three pound. And by the time I paid my fares and other things, there was virtually nothing left. But I was having the odd bet and probably doubling my wage in them days, you know. And, but so the time for Black Book was, was my reference point at that, at that time. Okay, so we mentioned that, just going back to the, your CV, um, so what would have been the most enjoyable period in that career? I would have said uh, the early 80s when I was running the anti-post book at the Tote. Uh, there was a lot of lively people around in them days, which I used to deal with and speak to direct. Um, up to about 85. I moved on in 85. Did work for a couple of commission agents, Sonny Wolf, people like that, who I worked with at Corals actually. He was one of our bosses. And I became very friendly with Sonny. He worked up till he was 92, by the way. He was a top man. Um, went on my own in 89. And from 89, probably the next 10 years was the most enjoyable period for me. Um, working for myself, uh, getting quite a bit of info at the time, and also having the odd bet for myself, which went okay, you know? So that 10 year period was like a golden period. Um, stakes were a lot bigger in them days. Uh, but as time progressed, I wasn't that comfortable with those sort of stakes. I mean, I'm only talking about a monkey or an unraced two year old or something like that, or two and 250 each way, a 20 to one chance. So I gradually moved away from that, stakes-wise, but was still, you know, still returning a good figure. So that, that was the time, 80s and the 90s. You took, As we got into the 2000s, Betfair reared their head, didn't they? And for me, that, ch that changed the game completely. They mentioned about commission agents now. You talk about commission agents now, it generally means getting on for people that can't get on yeah. under their own name. Yeah. I mean, what would have been, we, we, we all think that everybody got on whatever they wanted all the time back in the good old days, so yeah. was that not the case? No, not really. I mean, obviously it depends who you are, but uh, I was doing quite a bit for Sonny in them days and a couple of other people I was getting on. Um, didn't have people going around the shops in them days, which was obviously came a lot, lot after that. I had quite a few accounts at the time and I, I was managing to get on, uh, but eventually you get closed down and restricted. And I moved away from that. And I, my first love was always the form, so I was spending more time doing the form, pricing up races, looking ahead. That's always been my thing, looking ahead for the anti-post races, be it next week or a month's time or six weeks' time. That's always been my thing. You know? Okay, now you've we've been talking before this, obviously you give me a bit of background, and you told me that your big break in inverted commas was when you priced up a race for one of your bosses, but back in the very early days. Well, that was, that was about 1978. I was working for Corals at the time, and I was still basically just being a bit of an errand boy. You, you just did little bits and pieces for people. And I can remember one of the bosses sitting there. I knew a little bit. I didn't know him that well. And he had the runners for the race that they was going to put in the advert the next day. 
It was about an eight runner race, flat, which has always been my thing. And I, I, got to, I looked over his shoulder and I took the runners down. And I sat there and within about 10 minutes I priced it up. And I flicked it back to him like that. And he looked at it and he went, where do you get them prices from? I said, they're my prices. And from that day, he took me under his wing and gave me a little bit more to do. Um, just gave me a bit of a chance, really. Was that was that, 78, that was 1978. Was that a skill you learned once you started working with corals? No, no. It's something I, when I was about, say, two years before I joined the company, I could always sit down and price a race up, be it a 10-runner race or a 20-runner race. I could always price it up. Don't ask me how you, you come to do that. It's just something that you've either got or you haven't. Well, I've got to ask you that in a minute. But, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, most punters, no disrespect to most punters, but most punters probably wouldn't be able to no. even work out the percentages. No, that's right, yeah. So yeah. where did you get the skill and knowledge for, for that? I mean, because you can't even buy a book with the no. percentages in in those days. Somebody actually said to me a long, long time ago, he said, can I come and sit, and sit in your office? Because I had a home office, uh, you know, obviously in the house. He said, can I come sit with you and watch you price a race up? And I said to him, no, not really, because it doesn't work like that. Because I'm sitting and looking at the runners, I price the favourite, and then I begin to price the rest of the field. And it just, everything just slots into place with the percentage, etc. you know? It's something you cannot say to someone. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. And any, anyone that watches these interviews on a regular basis will know that everybody that said the, the value is the secret to winning, yeah. that they can't tell you how they no, com come no, to it. No. it. And you're exactly the same. Well, see, my next question was, tell us how you do it. But well, it's just, for me, it's just a gut feeling. We, we, we mentioned Sixth Sense earlier on, and I think it is a Sixth Sense. It's as simple as that. Don't know. Still don't know to this day. But, uh, I mean, I don't price up races these days because, obviously, the Betfair connection exchanges has just it's just killed it you know i don't miss it to be perfectly honest but um i concentrate on the anti-post saturday races that's where i that's where i score as soon as the runners come through on a monday i start to look at three or four races try and work out what's going to run what's not going to run and again i've got six cents for that don't ask me how but i have i've got six cents and i'll knock the field down i mean there's been some races where there's been say 12 on a monday and i've got it down to four runners <laughs> And I've said to a couple of friends, look, you've got to back this one each way because this is going to run, that ain't going to run, that ain't going to run, and go from there. Yeah, so that's general racing knowledge as well, yeah. about trainers' plans and yeah, all that. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, if I remember rightly, the, the, rate, the sport of life, the probable SP was pretty useless. Yeah. Um, so you must have had, you know, you had a skill that not a lot of people had, even the people, it's a lot better now with the spotlight, yeah. but a lot of people... Oh, working yeah. for the Sport of Life yeah. price. Well, if I could have gotten at Sport of Life prices in them days, you'd be a millionaire. But well, you would, but most yeah. other people wouldn't. Yeah, know. that's right, that's right, yeah. So just give us a, just give us a, the very basic nuts and bolts. I know you said you can't explain it, so you, you said you start with a favourite, mm. and then... Say it's a 12-runner handicap. As uh, soon as I get the 12 runners, I look at it, and the, the favourite will, will look me in the face right away, so that's five, that's five to two. Then I'll start to look for the second and third in, and then the, then the outside is the rags, which is fall into place. And then you just get your achieved percentage and the race is done. I mean, a, a normal, let, let's say a 10 runner handicap on the flat at Newbury on a Saturday, I could probably do that in 15, 20 minutes, no problem at all, you know? It's, it's, just, it's just a flare, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it, really, you know? But have you got all the form in your head? I mean, do, do, do you... A good percentage of it, So yeah. you absorb the form every day? I watch every live race, bar the all weather. I don't really touch the all weather. Certainly don't look at the evening stuff. I might look at two or three races that there's something of interest in there, especially a new, maybe an unraced horse in Newmarket that somebody's mentioned, I'll watch that. But yeah, I mean, I watch 98% of everything live. And I've, again, it's a knack. For me, if I watch a race once live, then that goes in and that's it. I wouldn't have to watch it again, you know? I mean, I did get to the stage where I was playing back the replays the next day and very time consuming, but again, I don't need to do it. So it's, it's just something that you've either got or you haven't. And I know the um, the margin as the prices get bigger aren't that much. But I mean, what makes the difference between, in your head, a 33 to one chance and a 100 to one shot? Because well, no possible chance either of them, most people would Yeah, be. I mean, I would probably put those in at 50s or 66, but yeah, the, the, the outsiders, they just fall into place themselves, you know? It's as simple as that. So when you, you're in charge of the anti-post market for the tote, and mm. bearing in mind this is people, the tote was a bookmaker yeah, as opposed to the tote That pool. was a very big firm in those days, yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, so you must have, to be 
good with the anti-post, but you must have had your ear to the ground. Yeah. So did you, how long did it take you to build up a network of really accurate contacts? Well, in them days, I'm talking about, talking about the early 80s, there was a lot of owners and trainers used to bet. Used to bet. So, I mean, that, that gave you a tremendous lead for certain races. And then you just built up your own outside contacts, uh, get to hear different things. Again, everything just seems, just seems to fall into place, really. You know, it's were there when you when you sort of took over the job? Was there anybody saying, "Look, here's my little black book," or did you no. have to start from scratch? No, start. Um, well, look, I, I I did have some contacts at the time. Again, the commission agents that I knew would tell me different things, um, and again, a couple of people that you dealt with. But it was just basically keeping an eye on people that was coming on. And I, I used to, in them days, always go to the phone and speak to them and build up a bit of a rapport with them, you know? And uh, they'd start to tell you things, so you'd be surprised. But uh, yeah, again, it just all falls into place. And how many customers would you have had back in those days that were, well, that were winning customers that used to take it off you? Um, it's very hard to put a percentage on it. Because um, they'd be the only ones that was any value, I suppose, apart from knowing when they were going to Yeah, there, there, was always a, there was always a nucleus of people that would, that would beat you, but obviously you used to follow what they did and price it accordingly, really, you know. Um, yeah, there was a, cause some shrewd people in, in them days, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. And people you worked with, you mentioned somebody called Mike Cowtan. When I went to the tote in 79, he was the anti-post manager. He's a bit of a maverick. Complete complete one-off and uh, some my ex-boss at Corals recommended me to go and work with Mike he said go and work with Mike he'll show you different little wrinkles different things go from there and I worked with him for two years and he fell out with the management at the time so he, was, he was a bit of a maverick and uh, th that's where I ended up getting the job so I was probably a bit young at the time but uh, it, was, it was a real learning curve I can assure you I stayed there for four years and then I decided oh, I needed to move on. And how big a position would the company take on the back of your... Of oh, I was, you I was in charge of the anti-post book, full stop. Yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't take things to lose absolute fortunes, but no, I was in charge of the book, all right, yeah. So what sort of figures are we talking? Would you stand one, if you didn't fancy one for the Derby, how much would you stand it Well, for? obviously the Derby's such a, long, such a long range book, you could have built up a real liability by the time the flat season starts. Uh, probably if you had an anti-post book, you could have a loser for about 20, 30 grand, you know? Easy, easy. easy. I mean, we're talking about 1980, 81. It's, mm. a long, it's a long time ago. So would you have people sort of ringing up with the unraced two-year-olds to win the derby and uh, oh, big yeah. prices? So oh, would yeah. you lay anybody like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, in them days, unraced two-year-olds used to get 100 to 1, 66 to 1. And I, I'd be guilty of doing the same myself. We used to go around the shops and someone would have mentioned something, say, in the previous... September, an unraced two-year-old, and uh, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you used to get a lot of that, yeah. But again, it was just building up rapport with certain people. That you know, if they come on and they wanted their fifty each way at thirty-three for next year's guineas, and it never seen the light of day, then it's a tremendous mark, tremendous, you know. For for it's for, for when it actually did see the light. Of day, oh yeah, well, actually coming on to get, win the guineas. Yeah, you're going to wait for the horse to come out anyway yeah. for its debut. And uh, go from there. I can remember in about, I think it was 81 or 82, I had a contact at the Dick Hearn yard. And he phoned me up one day and he said, uh, he said, the Major's got a horse running at York today. He said, uh, we think it's quite good. He always underplayed it. He said, what sort of price would it be? Bearing in mind in them days, you, nobody priced up two-year races. So because I had such a good relationship with this particular person, I said to him, oh, what, what sort of stake? So he said, oh, 50 pound. I said, okay, six to one, six fifties. Okay, you got it. And it turned out to be Garitis, who was the second coming. And it won that race at York that day by as far as whatever. Well, I think it must have been odds on for the guineas at one time. But as, you, as we know, it went, everything went wrong, didn't it? It's, it supposedly got, uh, got nobbled. But just different, just different little things like that, really, you know? And what was the biggest clobbering you ever took? Um, 85, all the favourites won the classics. Talking about slip anchor, oh so sharp, and uh, a lot of people had them all in doubles and trills. That, that came with quite a bit of money. That that wasn't a good year. That wasn't a good year. That was '85. <laughs> Even now, when I watched a documentary the other week with Steve Colford on, and they said to him, "What's your favourite horse you ever rode in?" He said, "Oh so sharp," and I just switched it off. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. <laughs> so that was that. You know.
Right, Barry, you said that the um, you decided it was time to leave. Um, I, did 85 do it for you or did you stay on for a bit longer? No, 80, 85 was it. Uh, Woodrow White was the chairman at the time. And should we, should we say it was quite a challenging job to deal with Woodrow White. Uh, I just decided it was time to move on and that's what I did. You know? So what happened next? I worked, went to work for a couple of commission agents in them days, um, which appealed to me at the time. Uh, by, by, by 88, somebody phoned me up in the business and he said about this firm that was beginning to become the new kid on the block, City Index. He said, they want to go into fixed odds. Would you be interested in going along and having a chat with them and see if, see if they want to take you on? So I said, yeah, fine. That's exactly what I did. That was in 1988. Can we go back to the commission agents yeah. first? Because it's like a bit of a dirty word now. Yeah, These oh, days, yeah. bookmakers are trying not to pay you out if somebody's put it on for you. Third party, thing. whatever yeah, they so, call it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the golden age of commission agents. Well, I mean, in them days, as I say, it was still quite easy to get on if you sent people around the shops. So quite a few accounts at the time. You could definitely get a few quid on. Um, yeah, it was an interesting time. Again, dealt with some very lively people in them days. So would a commission agent be getting on in cash like that, or would they? they a bit of everything. A bit of everything, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, a bit of everything. Yeah. And what sort of person would be asking for a commission agent? Bet? Owners, people within the yard, uh, occasionally the trainer. But uh, yeah, some quite lively people. Yeah, it's an interesting time. But I, I always felt that I wasn't going to be doing that forever. I always wanted to get back into the form side, and you know. Yeah, because just following marks wouldn't test in your brain. Not really, yeah. But I, the marks must have been worth their weight in gold. Oh, yeah, they were good. But, I mean, I've never been one to follow people blindly anyway because I've always got my own opinion. I mean, if Mr X come on and suddenly wanted £100 each way, a 20 to 1 chance that afternoon, and I knew his worth, should we say, then you'd, you'd follow him, yeah. Yeah, you'd follow him. Was it not tempting just to follow in the really lively marks and not give yourself it, all that work? Uh, no, not really. I, I always took each one on its merit. Always took one, you know. But you knew to follow, put it that way. You definitely knew to follow. And yeah. were, were any of the bookmakers that you get sort of closed down saying, hang on, we've had enough of this now? Yeah, oh yeah, quite a few. I also had a couple used to come on and used to try and say to you, well, you know, ring us first. <laughs> ring us first before you ring the others sort of thing. So in other words, they was basically going with you, you know, following it in. So a lot of that used to go on. But you just got to try and be as dis discreet as you can and play the game, as I say. <laughs> so, you went, so you went to City Index, which I've always thought was a spread betting firm. Would you still be able to carry on with some of those clients and do a little bit as well? Um, keep the contacts? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did, when, I, when I did leave there a couple of years later, I, I did keep in contact with a few people. Yeah, for sure. I made some very good contacts there, to be honest. Very good contacts. Tell us about City Index. So it wasn't a spread betting firm when you were... Well, they, they was mainly a spread firm for quite a long time, mainly based on city transactions. But they wanted to get into sport, and they did start to get into sport in quite a big way. And then they decided they wanted to get into fixed odds. And that's where somebody phoned me and said, would you go and do the markets for them? So I said, yeah, fine. But um, in that two years, I mean, it was very, very lively. I think they probably got a bit too big too soon. They wanted to take the world on, should we say, at the time. And I, I was quite cautious. I used to say every now and then, hang on a minute, you know. I don't think we want to do this. But, um, yeah, I was there for two years. and it was, a, it was a real learning curve. Jonathan Spark, the boss, who passed away earlier this year, was a very, very clever man, very shrewd. I think they basically say he is the man that started spread betting, you know, buying, just by buying and selling. Very clever man. So very did good. the city guys have knowledge of horses is that where you came in they needed people with horse racing knowledge yeah basically yeah 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 I, I did the fixed odds books for them uh, and again just used to chat to the clients and uh, yeah it was a really good time I enjoyed it but I knew after two years that I had this idea in my mind to do my own thing and that's what I did and Johnny Johnny Spark basically when I said to Johnny Spark I want to move on there's a gap in the market to do something else he said to me well, we'll be your first customer so worked out great you, you mentioned that you, you were sort of doing a bit of business with Harry Finlay. Well, Harry come on board after about a year. He come bowling into the office one day. He'd been out to lunch with Jonathan Spark. I think he, I think he'd gone right through the menu. Johnny come back and said, and uh, I think I think he ordered lobster as soon as he sat down. And uh, I must admit, at the time, I thought to myself, this ain't going to work. He, he's he's too he's too much of a character. He's too. But after a while, I, I began to like Harry. I must admit. And I, I mean, I do occasionally speak to him these days. I haven't spoken to him for a while. 
And when he went on to do the Scoop 6 with his syndicate, I was a very small cog. They used to ring me up and say, you know, this handicap hurdle, we've got six runners. Could you see anything outside this six winning? And I used to say, well, this one, it's a 20 to 1 chance. It's definitely not out of it. And, you know, two or three times they, they popped up. And it was you, good. You part of it as well? You, very you tiny a, cog, very tiny you cog. You had a stake in it? Yeah, very tiny, very tiny. So when you started um, about City Index, was there any, ever any clients that rang up to open an account and you'd like give them a swerve totally? Occasionally, but our logic at the time was was to let them get on and basically go with them. I mean, I won't name names, but one particular Northern-based punter I thought was very good. He used to come on and then, I don't know, 300 quid each way. And, uh, I used, to, I used to sit there, the bet used to come through, and whoever was taking the bet, I used to go like that, I used to go, hang on. So I was on the other phone, putting his £300 on, and having the same for the firm. And for me, that works. And you'd never beat him in a million years. So as long as he's winning, you was winning. And how difficult was it to hedge money that lively? Um, wasn't too bad in them days, I'm talking about the late 80s, wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah, might, might take two calls to do it, but he used to get on, he used to get on, yeah. Uh, so you started um, Beasley Racing Services in 89, City Index. Um, so tell us what you did for what service it was. Well, I, I definitely saw a gap in the market. I mean, I know there was two or three people pricing up races anyway, but I just had this idea that I could maybe, in them days, the early prices probably consisted of four or five races. I just had this idea of extending the four or five to maybe 10 or 12, certainly no more than that. You didn't want to price up the maidens, didn't want to price up the two-year-old races. And then I used to do a news sheet that I used to send out at 11 o'clock each day, which was basically news on every race that day. And, and nobody was doing that type of thing then. And that, that worked out really well. A lot of people used to like that. What sort of news? What, a lot of lively money or...? Well, I mean, the end day, unraced two-year-olds. Um, I would basically say this unraced two-year-old's been back from nine to two to six to four, or working well, you know, that type of thing, you know? It, was, it went down well at the time, I must admit, it was very good. There is somebody doing it at the moment, but I started in 1989. See, one of the bookies I worked for used to get Neil Wilkins's, uh, you know, careful, careful, yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, so were you in direct competition with no, him? No, no, not at all. Neil, Neil was doing the on-course market. Neil used to ring, every time Neil went racing, he used to ring me to check what had gone on. Just, you know, just exchanging views, basically. So, yeah, no, no Neil was doing the on-course. I, I, was, I was off course. Yeah. So you guys were, um, you know, there was no sort of jealousy. You were no, sort of sharing, help each other out. Yeah, no, and, not um, at all. No, every time he went to Newbury or Newmarket, I'd, I'd probably be the, the first call he made. He'd ring me up and say, you know, what's happened in the three thirty? Blah blah blah. And yeah, just just help one another out. Yeah. No so skin off my nose. So you were providing the off course with all that. Yeah. So, and, and bookmakers as well. Oh no, it was bookmakers. Yeah. On course bookmakers that. Uh, no, no, no. I did quite a bit of Chalmers at the time, so obviously that maybe had an input into their on-course book. Uh, but no, not really on-course, no. So what, what else did the service provide? Or was that the, the, ba the that, basics that was, of it? That was the basics of it. I mean, um, a lot of work involved, I must admit. Uh, but so price up about 10, 15 races, update the prices as the morning went on, uh, and then this news sheet was very popular. Some people just used to take the news sheet, not the prices. And then when the spread firms become really big in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was working for all the spread firms at the time because if you work for one or two, then the third one didn't want to be left out. Yeah. So that worked out very well, I must admit. That was quite good at the time. So you said that um, you, know, you can sort of look at a race and pretty much price it up in 10 minutes. So how many, how often did you price a race up and then start getting your news come through? enough to totally reevaluate what you put down in the first place. Well, I used to send the news sheet out about eight o'clock in the morning, and obviously the markets were, in them days, was probably starting at 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So I was just monitoring the markets the whole time, the whole, the whole time. And when the exchanges kicked in, in the early 2000s, I used to monitor all the moves on the exchanges. So that people used to take that from me as well. So that, that worked out quite well. So when, when you started in 89, how were you getting the information out of other people? Well, I had quite a few contacts by then, you know, and uh, I was still getting on tissue prices in them days where a lot of firms started to price up the maidens. So I had, I had about three or four people, mainly Newmarket, that would ring me up and say, look, can you get me £50 on 
this home race two-year-old is 10 to 1. It's going to be about a 10 to 1 chance. And I used to get them on. So that, that information came that way. Yeah, but I mean, how were you getting the information that you provided to your clients? Because there was no text messaging, there was no no emails or anything like that. So was it, how, how did you do it? Just monitoring the markets the whole time. Yeah, but, yeah, but how did you get your your daily information out to your clients? Oh, in them days? Yeah. Well, uh, fax machine, would you believe? I mean, I remember having this great big thing. It was a fax machine in 1980, 89. You used to send them out by fax. Eventually, that became email. And when you, um, so you had your contacts, you had your marks, obviously their information was worth money to yeah. you. Did, did you sort of have to give them back backhand? No, I'd, I'd probably, I'd cover their stake for them. Uh, they would also ask me what's going on in the race. So I would let them know, ABC's fancy, blah, blah, blah. So it's just a two-way thing, really. You know, it yeah. works. It works. So in those days, is that when you were having your monkeys on, your 250s each way on? That was in the, uh, that was in the late 80s early 90s, when I first went on my own, um, I just, just had this idea that I, I should be increasing the stakes. But as I said, I, didn't, I wasn't particularly comfortable with that, so I just I scaled that down as time went on. But I can remember going to Newmarket one afternoon and having a monkey on an unraced two of it, about six to four, which is not really my style at all. Uh, it was a Robert Armstrong horse, Act of Diplomacy, and it got up to win, just. But I can remember thinking about a furlong out, what, I thought, you know, I don't enjoy this, so I, I just stopped that. I've always wanted to back outsiders. That's that's where I've always scored, backing outsiders. You know. So we don't want to mention any names, but there were a few well-known punters back in those days. That let's be kind and say they they probably weren't going to win over time. Yeah. Were you ever tempted to sort of get into one of them and say, "Can you stick some on for us?" No, nah, no, nah, never, 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 never interested in it at all. No. Nah. Or even tell them that you might be able to spin it around for them and uh, if they nah, became a client. Nah, nah. I always wanted to keep low key, to be perfectly honest. Just did my own thing, you know. Nah, okay. that didn't interest me at all. So, that, but back, so back in those days, you were producing, you like, you, is it you still do it now? No, nah, I haven't done it for quite a while, to be honest. Uh, as I say, Betfair really took hold quite a while ago, didn't they, with the overnight exchanges. I, st I do some anti-post prices for a couple of people these days, but daily stuff, no, nah, I don't do that at all. No, don't miss it. Don't miss it at all. Because the one, the one thing that appeared to finish off the well-informed rails bookmakers was Betfair because the middleman was no longer That's needed. That's right. Yeah. Is that, is that a similar thing that happened to yeah, you? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've got somebody on the rails who's a good friend of mine. I've worked with him for about twenty years, I suppose, and uh, <clears throat> he rings me up and I've, I price up the races to this. So he's going to Newbury Friday. I'll price up that race, then races the day before. So I've got my view. And then, say from 7.30 the next morning, I'll just completely monitor the whole markets. I'll watch, every, I'll watch everything that's moving and not moving, basically. So he will ring me at, say, 11 in the morning. I will give him the prices. I will tell him what's gone for a walk or what's really shortened up. I'll tell him what I've heard, news, blah, 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 and uh, goes from there. So I've done that for over 20 years, so obviously it works, it works, you know. Yeah, Loft Lofty would Lofty would uh, know roughly that that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Right, Barry. I'm interested. But during that time, you were playing the anti-post markets. Um, you would think that it was a bit precarious. Well, I suppose if you're getting your card accurately marked, it wasn't that precarious. No. It was obviously quite lucrative. Yeah. Um, so you know what was the uh, you know what what was the sort of reasoning behind it? Just because you were getting such good information? Well, I've, it's always been a market that's interested me, and um, I mean, I basically, I do my homework. It's as simple as that. And uh, as soon as the market used to come out, I'd have a look at it and basically looking for looking for mistakes in the prices, looking for non-runners, various other things. Quite a few quite a few factors really, you know. Um, handicap a month before. I'd start to do a bit of work on that. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely my my thing. It's just, yeah, definitely. I mean, these days, if uh, if somebody gets accurate wind that something's not going to run, and they lay it on the machine, that's sort of frowned upon and yeah. all the rest of it. But back in the day, would you act accordingly, getting on before the news generally came out? Um, Is that the sort of way it would work? Yeah, it's, it's not something. It's not something I would actively do. Uh, but obviously, there, there, there was certain races 
where you got information that something wasn't going to run and you played it and played it accordingly. Yeah, always fair and love and more. Well, days. yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never ever lay on the exchanges. I've, it's never been a thing that's interested me, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, it's, I've got to be one step ahead of the bookmaker. And, well, nine times out of ten, I, I will be because I, I'm doing my homework. It's as simple as that, you know? Yeah, so back in those uh, housing days, you were betting on course a fair bit. I used to go racing, but I didn't really used to bet much at the races because I if I'd backed, I probably would have backed something in the morning. Uh, it was more of a social thing in them days as well, to be perfectly honest. Plus all the characters that used to be there. Um, I might have had, I don't know, 100 each way, 10 to 1 chance in the morning. Uh, time I got to the races, it was probably 4 to 1. And we just went along. It, it was more of a social thing, really. I, I've never been one to lay it back or... I've never had enough on really to lay it back, you know. So in those days, I mean, I remember the, the, the sport of life would have the early bird stamp on it. So there yeah. was only a handful of races really that you, well, that's all, as I remember it, a handful of races you could bet on. Oh, in the yeah, you couldn't get on many in Endos. They didn't no. price up every race. So. No, no. So you, you, so you enjoyed it on course. Yeah. You, you should go there as a social thing. More of right? a social thing and, and basically just, networking. To keep, just to keep your face in, networking. Uh, might be the odd contact there that you wanted to catch up with. Uh, that was the early 90s. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it more of a social thing, really. Yeah, I wasn't there to sort of have, have a have a bet, really, you know. And I mean, all the old days, we somebody was eight to one down that end and four to one down that end. No, no, didn't, wasn't interested. Now that was the a golden era. Oh, for, for characters and for big punters oh, on course. Johnny Lights, uh, John Power, um, Roy. Remember Roy the Suit, Roy Sapphire. There was, there was just loads. So you the one that used to sell the suits in the toilet. He toilets, used to sell yeah. the suits, yeah. I used to go in with about two suits. At Newbury especially. I can remember buying a suit off him once and I got it home and it didn't fit. And my wife said to me, why'd you buy it? I said, well, it's a really lovely suit, isn't it? <laughs> but it didn't fit. I go to a friend of mine. But uh, yeah, there were some real characters in them days. He used to get out most of the betting ring, didn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So any particular memories of any of those guys? So you mentioned Johnny Lights. I mean, I was lucky enough to interview him yeah, just before he passed away. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't know Johnny Lights, but obviously I used to watch him when he was running around in the ring. I mean, he was obviously quite well known for backing short ones, wasn't he? Yeah, so he that's complete, that's, that's, that's alien to me, you know, really alien. I used to watch him, that was very interesting, running up and down the rails. I think Derek Smith was, was still on the rails in them days for Labrooks. Bobby Tellick, people like that. Real characters, you know, real characters. Leslie Spencer was on the rails for Hills. I knew a few of the bald bookmakers, Dave Sapphire, people like that. Uh, yeah, it was just a very, very interesting time. Very interesting. Rocky, Rocky, obviously, with Tic Tac, good yeah. friend of mine, yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting time. Um, so, do you, were, were a lot of these, um, were a lot of the sort of contacts you had, sort of stable staff and that, or was it more? more the owners, trainers. It's a bit of a, mix, bit of a mixture, to be honest. There was always two or three lads that worked for certain yards that I used to listen to. Um, yeah, could, could be the odd, could be an owner somewhere down the line. Yeah, various, various things really, various things. Yeah. So when you were, I'm interested that you were getting this absolutely brilliant information. You were a very good judge yourself. You knew when the price was right and when the price was wrong but you weren't keen on having much on. What, no. Was the business lucrative enough that you didn't really need to punt? You were getting the money coming in guaranteed every I was, day? I was earning a good salary with the uh, consultancy. That, that was good. Um, as for increasing the stakes, I've been asked this two or three times by different people. It just never appealed. It just never appealed, you know? I always felt in the back of my mind, oh, this is going to come to an end, shall we say, you know? But every year I've returned a winning figure. I should have increased mistakes at times when maybe I thought something was double the price it should have been, or maybe I had some other information in the race. I probably should have pressed on a bit more, but it just didn't appeal, didn't appeal. I was what, quite why, why did you think it's going to come to an end? I mean, did you start to doubt your know. ability? That's just, that's just, it's just your way, isn't it? It's just, it's just your makeup, it's as simple as that, really. But uh, yeah, I should have pressed on a few times. I mean, I had a real golden period, uh, early 2000s, a uh, couple of seasons, it was just really good, anti-post races. I should have kicked on, but I just didn't, you know. And how many, how many people did you see come and go that sort of did overstretch themselves and do their money in? I suppose, without naming names, I suppose there's two or three that have come and gone, haven't they, really? Uh, mainly on the sport, really, than the racing. But yeah, there's plenty of people, yeah, yeah. There's not many people around now that 
were around in the early 90s, shall we say, you know? Not on course, anyway. Certainly not on course, no, no. And you got the, um, you got the nickname the Weatherman. Yeah. So where did that come from? I get a lot of people ring, I get a lot of people ring me about a week before certain meetings and ask me to predict the ground. I mean, I watch all the weather forecasts in them days. I don't know if you remember on a Sunday country file, and they probably still do it. They used, to do, <laughs> they used to do the farmers forecast on a Sunday. <laughs> and I used to religiously watch that. And again, I, can, I could just sit there and work things out. And I'd think, oh, nobody, nobody Friday, that's gonna, get, that's gonna get plenty. And I would, start, I would start to be thinking about the Friday card, you know? And uh, that, that's worked out rather well over the years, I must admit. But I also had the phone numbers in them days of the groundsmen. Um, the racing calendar, remember the racing calendar that used to come out? I used to subscribe to the racing calendar, which gave you all the future races. So obviously it went to trainers and various other people. And I subscribed to that. And one day they, they had this green pullout, and it was all the groundsmen's numbers. And I pulled it out and I thought, this is gold dust. This is absolute gold dust. So I used to ring the groundsmen every now and then, you know, hello Bill. What's happening there? Have you had any rain this morning? It's been like nine o'clock in the morning. Have you had any rain, Bill? Yeah, as it stopped, you've had 10 mils. What's the ground then? Well, we give it out as good to firm. It's now good to soft. Just, just, just different things like that, you know? That was the probably the early 2000s, or maybe a bit before, actually, now I come to think about it. I mean, obviously, since then, things have moved on a, a lot, you know? Everybody's got access to the ground now, haven't they? You know? Yeah, I know, but what they what they say and what it is isn't necessarily. I think I think majority of the clerks are, are pretty good. Again, you you get a feeling about different people. Um, I mean, Andrew Cooper, people like that, very good. You know, they just get a feeling. Just get a feeling. And yeah. Did you ever, um, with your own knowledge of the form book, you know, the other things that are coming like sectional timing, timing race, any of that? Do you never no. use that to enhance what you thought? No, never, never been interested. Never been interested. So why why not? It's just something that's never appealed. Um, I, I just believe in betting on what you've seen, full stop. It's as simple as that. No, sectionals wouldn't interest me at all, no. And have you struggled with the, um, the fact that there's so much more racing, even if you cut out the all-weather, have you still struggled with how much there is to try oh, and yeah. absorb oh, it properly? Yeah, especially in the summer months. Summer months is, is not impossible to keep up with it because of the night meetings, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very, it's got more difficult over the, over the last few years, for sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you sort of specialised at all? Have you whittled it down to, um, apart from, you know, ignoring no weather? No, not really. I mean, flat, I, I watch everything on the flat. I mean, the jumps these days, there's probably certain means I wouldn't, I wouldn't be watching. But no, you've, 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 you've got to be watching everything. It's as simple as that. You've got to be watching everything. You've got to be reading everything. Everything just falls into place. And have you, have you continued to sort of cultivate contacts? I've got two or three people that I speak to on a regular basis. They're getting quite old now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I still speak to about at least two or three most days. They ring me. Uh, they might say, this is fancied or that's fancied. What have you heard in the race? Blah, blah, blah. And then we just, just have a chat. They're, they're, they're very good friends of mine, you know? Known them a long time. Known them a long time. So there's been no sort of young blood that's appeared and given you a call and said Barry I'm your man I, I, I don't think there's any chance of that whatsoever they'd just look up they'd look upon us as dinosaurs wouldn't they to be honest because all they want to do is computer models and algorithms and so, as you say sectionals nah none at all nah, nah. Um, so you're a, you're a flat man basically yeah um, is that because your contacts have been mainly flat and that's the way you gravitated or yeah. Were you not interested in the jumps originally? No, I've, I've always been interested in the jumps, but um, it would probably be a 75-25 split. But I've always found that I could assess a flat race much better than a jump race. And the contacts on the flat are much better than the contacts on the jumps. And how much of the... We, we all know that, for, you know, I know enough professional punters to know that most of racing must be straight because otherwise they wouldn't be able to win. But how much knowledge and lateral thinking goes into your summing up of a race, you know, whatever, d despite what it says in the form book, how much of that other knowledge would go into, you know, pricing it up? Well, I mean, obviously, there'd be, the odd, there'd be the odd runner that you've seen that had a bit of a soft ride, shall we say. There's different other factors, but no, I, no, I, think, it's, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward, yeah.
Okay, Barry. Um, so, you tell me you still do a bit of work for the Racing Post. What do you do for them? Yeah, very low-key stuff. I've done it for, probably done it for about the last eight, nine years. Um, running plans for certain races, uh, jockey bookings, ground changes, just different things like that. Um, very low-key stuff, but it's I like it. It's, it's quite interesting, you know, and it keeps me in the loop, shall we say. Um, I'll give them the Brave Man's Game uh, story the other day, actually, that Daryl Jacob had been down there to ride and he was going to ride it. This was up past seven in the morning, so I think Nichols broke the story about 10 o'clock, I think. So just little things like that, really, you know. I, ju I, just, find it, I just find it useful, interesting, just interesting, you know. Yeah, so, so when you, you, you said you still, do, uh, you still do the card for a friend of yours who's a leading rails bookmaker, how much pressure does that put you under knowing that he's obviously going to take he's going to take what you've said and win or lose on the back of it is that extra sort of pressure maybe that sort of affects you a bit or is it just you've been doing it for so long now yeah there's definitely pressure there um i've done it for a long time so obviously he's a long way in front of what i've told him i would think so um, we've got very good rapport so he knows exactly how i'm thinking to be perfectly honest and uh, it seems to work it seems to work um i would price up the races the day before monitor the markets on the morning of the race, build the news into the prices, uh, and if I didn't particularly fancy a favourite, I'm not really one to say ladies' favourite, but I would certainly say to him that five to four seems a bit on the skinny side, you know? Uh, but he, he, what, what he tends to do, he's looking for me to find an alternative to the favourite, and hopefully one of the bigger ones, should we say. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a race at Newbury back in August, I think it was, listed race. A Sadner was the favourite, five to four, which had been a bit of a talking horse. And I just had a feeling that it was on the on the wane. It was about five to four, eleven away. So I've just basically said to him, I think this is very short. There's at least two or three others in the race that can win. And there's one in here that I want to have a go at. I was called Action Plan, which was a 16 to one chance. So I said, that is our runner. And he knows when I say that, that that's, that's, that's how things will work. Anyway, action plan led all the way and won. So, worked out great, worked out great. So we've had a, we've had a few races like that over the years, so. But that, that's one of the highlights this, this year anyway, yeah. And don't you think then, course, I should have opened my shoulders? Oh yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 did, I did have a few quid on each way. Um, but there was, there was two or three others in the race that I thought had fair chances, so it certainly wasn't uh, Ed, what I call an Ed Down bet, you know? It wasn't, wasn't one of them. Have, have, uh, there ever been contacts of yours that have done well for a while, but in the end you've had, you've had to give them the sack? That have sort of gone no, off no, out of form? No, not really, to be perfectly honest, no. No, no, not really. I mean, obviously it can happen, but I haven't found that, no. They've been, been pretty consistent. Right, so I want to put, put you on the spot, not put you on the spot, Barry, but obviously people watching this, they want to try and emulate successful people, hunting and stuff. So we all look at the same card and form. Um, most of us lose. Yeah. Can you give us a basic blueprint of how you break down a race when going for a card? What are you looking for first? Uh, and then to talk us through, and we've got about another 10 minutes here, so you can be as elaborate as you want. Decipher a race for us. Start from the beginning and finish at the end. Ground. First thing, recent form, another thing, trainer form, another thing. There's various, various factors, really. There's no, uh, there's no hard or fast rule. Um, I tend to look at certain races and basically that, that type of race would appeal. Um, there's no hard and fast rule. So what sort of race would appeal to you? Uh, mile, 10 furlong race on a flat. Um, draw factor comes into play. There's a big draw bias. There's quite a few things you can put into the melting pot, but um, yeah, there's quite a few things, but you can't, you can't really explain it, to be perfectly honest. It's, again, I'll say it again, it's just sixth sense and feel. It's real feel, you know? I mean, one of my biggest anti-post touches was at Ascot, many, about 2006, I think it was. Remember a filly called Indian, Indian Inc., trained by Hannah? It won the coronation on the Friday, and on the Monday, prices came out and I said to a couple of friends of mine, I said, I can't believe this price. And they went, but it's a soft ground horse. I went, yeah, don't worry about that. 
I've seen the weather forecast, it's going to rain all day Friday. <laughs> so this was the Monday. So I can remember sitting, I can remember sitting outside my local on the Friday, on the Thursday night, and it was brilliant sunshine. And my friend went to me and went, you've got this wrong, you know. He said, this rain ain't coming. So I said, yeah, it's on its way, don't worry. Anyway, an hour before the race, you remember you used to see all those pictures of people scurrying at Royal Ascot to get out of the rain? Well, this happened an hour before the race, and it just never stopped raining. It was torrential. Anyway, it was 25 to 1, 20 minutes before the show. Anyway, I backed it a few times during the week, and I started backing it again. Anyway, the show come up on the TV, and I think it went something like 16, 12, 10, 8, 6. And the rest is history. <laughs> it came round that bend at Ascot and just went further and further clear. And that was, that was one of the great days. But that was me looking ahead on the Monday, weather forecast and various other things. You know, the firms have got, for me, the firms have got it wrong. Firms have got it wrong, yeah. Everybody's going to want to know what your weather app is to be that accurate five days in advance. <laughs> Country file forecast. Still works, still works. So going back to this race, you're looking at a race. Do, do you, can you go through and you just put a line through half the field just by looking at them and then you concentrate on the nucleus? Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just take Nubia as an example. 12 runner handicap for the, for, on the Saturday. Priced up on the, in the old days, you priced it Friday morning for the Saturday. Yeah, I'd start with a favourite and then just basically put a line through the ones that I didn't think had much chance. It's as simple as that. It's, you're just forming an opinion on every runner, you know, and uh, goes from there. I mean, there many times where I've, I've priced up a, a handicap like that and I've put something in at, say, six. And when the, remember the price used to come through on teletext that day at about five o'clock, the firms had gone, they'd gone, say, 14 or 16. Time to play. Simple as that. And you would take that as a positive you wouldn't think oh hang on i've got it wrong well no, no. What, what do they know that i don't know no no no, no they never used to think like that so no, you, you've got to be confident in what you're doing and the proof's in the pudding you know that's, that's the way i look at it anyway and it, for you is the harder the handicap the better would you look at the big heritage handicaps oh, or would yeah. you think oh that's a bit too tricky no no i used to like those yeah yeah I used to like those the e-balls a race i always used to do well in I used to bet say a month before I used to find some <laughs> used to find some quite nice ones in there yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I love a handicap, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So how much luck is there in those big ones? Do you have to factor all that in? I suppose you do at the end of the day, but no, you just hope things are going to go your way, you know? Draw and luck in running and all sorts of things. No, you can't worry about that. You can't worry about it. No. So going back to this race, we're looking at this race. What is there, if, if anything, that other people put great weight on other people that probably lose but great weight on when they're looking at a race and you think is actually quite negligible? Well, they probably form an opinion of a horse and, and think it's... I've got this thing about uh, certain horses, zero from 12, zero from 13. And you, you get people who stick with them the whole time. And I think to myself, this is never going to win. This is never going to win, you know? Why are you backing it? So for me, they're just going down the wrong path. It's as simple as that. You've got to form an opinion on a certain horse, positive or negative. You know? And would you form an opinion like, right, this hasn't run great the last couple of times, but they're obviously aiming for this race. Yeah, that, comes, it, that, yeah, that in? comes into play. Yeah. And would yeah. you have um, an idea, as you do the form, would you have an idea in your mind about how a trainer's mind works? Have yeah. you got a pattern of trainers? Oh, very much so, yeah. yeah. There's certain trainers I've definitely got respect for. I read all the trainer interviews. I read all the stable tours. For me, that, that's, that's gold dust. But do they tell the truth in them? I think the majority do, yeah. I think the majority do. I think certain trainers you can definitely read, and you can read well. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done okay over the years doing that. Yeah. I try, as I say, I try to read everything. For me, you should, you should be, you should be covering all bases, all bases. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the big question is, you, you never lost in a year, probably. Um, how do you get your bets on? Well, these days, as I say, I'm pretty low key these days. I've got one particular company that bets me certain amounts, not, not a great amount, and obviously at the end of the day they're, they're using it for their own purposes. I mean, that, that, you know, that, that doesn't matter, doesn't matter. But uh, yes, it's, it is hard, I must admit. As I say, uh, I'm pretty low-key these days, so it, it doesn't really bother me. You know? Yeah, but you can be very low-key and still not get a bet on with a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's right? true, that's very true, yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you, would you say now that you're winding down or is it something that you're going to be doing until you can't do it anymore? No, I'm definitely winding down, but 
funny enough, somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago, a non-racing person, and he said to me, he said, you could still be doing this when you're 80. I said, yeah, I can, yeah. And I do intend to keep a daily interest. Yeah, yeah. As Sonny Wolf said to me when he was 92, I said to him, Sonny, why are you still working? Because he had, he had more money than he'd ever need. And he said to me, I've got to keep your brain ticking. And I said, good idea. And that's the way I, that's the way I see it. So you've got, you, you, you've mentioned that you've got your client on the rails. Are you open for other business or you don't want anybody no, giving you the bell? No, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Quite happy, yeah. Yeah, we've got a good relationship. I'm quite happy being exclusive, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what is next, anything? Um, well, when a flat season's on, I'm, I, every year, I, the last two or three years, I've said to me, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a bit more this year, gonna do a bit more this year, but I, I, I didn't last year. I had quite a low-key year last year, though I didn't do too bad. Just keep an eye on things, to be perfectly honest. Just keep things ticking over. Have you ever, ever dipped your toe into owning? I did have a share in a horse many, many years ago with a couple of race course. Uh, remember Richard Thomas? Used to work for a couple of the firms. Richard Thomas, Paul Green. We had a, we had a horse with David Murray Smith, which didn't turn out too well. Uh, some friends of mine had a two-year-old with one of the new market yards, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't readily appeal, to be honest. No, no. Okay, so finally, Barry, the people still trying to learn off you. The most important thing somebody should look for when they're trying to work a race out, in your mind, the way you do it, what, what is the most important aspect of form to try and find a winner? Does it act on the ground? It's as simple as that. Recent form is important, but does it act on the ground? It's not location, 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 it's ground, ground, ground. And that's it. Brilliant. Barry Beasley, All thank right. you very much. Okay.